Father, we have honored you with praise in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and the power of your Holy Spirit to pour it out on us. We now come to the teaching of your Word. And, and Lord, your Word is true. And it is right. Help me now to teach it according to its truth, that we might see it as right. Help us to see it. God, gives us, give us eyes that can see. Let us hear it. Lord, give us ears that can hear. Show us your way, O oh God. Help us to see that, that the way of the world will not, will not do. Let us see your very unsophisticated, very simple way that brings life and love and healing to what is broken in our hearts, our relationships, and our world. In the name of Jesus, I ask it. Amen. If you would, be seated. Do you know this one? Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men could not put Humpty together again. How many of y'all know that one? Do you know what it means? In this is an explanation of a very real, powerful, biblical truth. God created all things in harmony. And we as a human race sat on a wall. And then we had a great fall. And because of the sin that has entered our world, there's now brokenness. And there is no government program that can put us back together again. There's no amount of legislation that can fix what is wrong with the human race. There is only one answer to what ails us, and that is Jesus Christ. Friends, I don't pretend to understand laws. I don't pretend to understand how to govern. Thankful I'm not called to that. I'm grateful I get to simply tell you what my boss says in his Bible and then challenge you to walk in that truth and, and then trust that the Spirit of God is going to do it. We live in a very difficult day. A day where there's fear and racism and pain suffering. It's real. It's not hypothetical. It's real. And, and each one of us must do the good that God calls us to do. But I, I do want to caution those of you who are disciples of Jesus to remember what really will heal the human heart is Jesus Christ. And we have to be so careful about what we argue about and what we argue for. Oh, what would it look like if people of all different colors, of all different backgrounds, and different geographical locations who were united by the blood of Jesus Christ would pray and appropriately speak to the reality of what God has done to bring healing and hope to our world? Friends, be very careful about what you argue for and about. 
If it's not the gospel, you, you might want to preface it with, this is my opinion, this is what I'm kind of thinking, here is a, here is a certain view, and understand that that's always going to be tainted, one way or the other. But one thing we can all do for certain is stand on the authority, the infallibility, the inerrancy of God's Word and the gospel it teaches. Friends, that is our hope. That is the message. But something has snuck in that we need to at least acknowledge. For the last 20 plus years, we have allowed something, and I'll call it a poison, to creep into the message of God's people. And there's a term that I want you to Google. There's a term I'm not going to, I'm going to give you a little bit of explanation. I'm going to move on. Uh, this, this is a phrase that I want you, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, to be mindful of. It, it, is, it is this. It's moralistic, therapeutic deism. Moralistic, therapeutic deism. It was first written about by a guy named Christian Smith. Let me give you my definition of it. You can find your own. You can develop your own. You can read his. It's lengthy, but here's mine. A non-Christian system that uses the Bible but denies the fundamental reality of Jesus Christ and replaces the gospel with ideas about how good we are and how we need to do what makes us feel good based on the assumption that Jesus is not really risen and Lord of all. That message has slowly slipped in to the evangelical culture, to the Bible-believing culture uh, of our country and even into our church. And so we have, we have people, good people, basically saying, you know what, I want to do good things with my life. I want to feel good, most importantly. And I want to have some religion, but not too much, that, that it really kind of impacts my existence. I want just enough that I can get what I want so that I can feel good, and just enough that I can know the good that I can do to get credit for it so everybody thinks I'm kind of a big deal. And this is the message of many on stages where thousands of people are gathering today. Thousands like us who are gathering on stage, and there's a person like me standing on a stage saying something that sounds true, but isn't. Friends, do you know what you believe and why? Do you have a deep-seated conviction about the reality of Jesus Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection, the life He lived and the ascension that happened, and now His Lordship overall? Today, I'm going to challenge you on that. Today, we're going to we're going to look at a, a story that many know, but I'm going to show some things that have have brought some discomfort to many today, including myself. But let's not be afraid of that because it's hard. Let's not step away from it because it requires great faith. Let's ask God to give us eyes that can see and ears that can hear, and let's be willing to respond to what is true and live in it. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, take it out and turn with me to John chapter 12. We're going to begin in verse 12, and if you look at the heading on your, your Bible, I, I'm sure it says something to the effect of the triumphal entry. 
This is uh, the moment when Jesus entered into Jerusalem to start the week we call Holy Week, when he would give his life for our sins. And so today I want us to look at, a, I hope, what is a familiar story and, and point out some things that, that maybe we've forgotten or not wanted to see. And I pray that the Spirit of God will convict us and call us to believe. Let's all stand together as Megan comes. Megan, if you would, make your way to the stage for us. And she's going to read the text, Lord willing, I'll preach from verses 12 through 19. So, Megan, if you would, read for us Roman, I'm sorry, John 12, 12 through 19. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he performed the sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. The word of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Meg. And if you would, go ahead and be seated. <coughs> Dr. Tony Evans tells the story of a young man who lived in the last century who was unhappy because he lived out in the country and they didn't have the sophistication of, of indoor plumbing and so they had an outhouse. And he hated that outhouse. And, and, and he didn't want to use that outhouse. He wanted to have... The, the, the cool stuff that, that, that they had at school, that they had in the, in the city, in the suburbs. They, he, he wanted to have this really, you know, nice, neat way of living. So one afternoon, he was walking by, and he saw that outhouse that was next to a creek, and he pushed the outhouse into the creek. It wasn't too long after that that his father came to him and said, Son, I need you to meet me in the woodshed. Now, for those of you that don't know that terminology, that means he was about to be loved with a spanking. The boy recognized it, and he said, But, Father, why? And his dad looked at him and said, Boy, someone has pushed the outhouse into the creek, and I think we both know that someone is you. Quick on his feet, he said, Dad, you're right. It was me. And I would like for you to know that I'm being honest with you. And I'd like you to know that one day George Washington had cut down a tree. And when he had been honest with his father about what he had done that was wrong, his father relented and there was no punishment. And the father said, son, I can appreciate that. But I'd also point out to you that George Washington's dad wasn't in the tree when he cut it down. what God has given is very unsophisticated. What God has provided is what every human heart longs for. But, 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 but it's not complicated and it's not very cool. 
something very, very simple. It's love. It's simple, eternal, redemptive love. And the only thing that's going to heal what's broken in all of us, the only thing that's going to heal what's happening in our land, in our world, is the love of God. But do we understand what this love has come to do? Are are we willing to acknowledge that, that we need it? The Synoptic Gospels, those are the Gospels other than John, record the triumphal entry. And they record uh, something significant, specifically in Luke. Hold your finger in John 12 and turn with me quickly to Luke chapter 19. I want to show you something. Because on this big day of celebration, when people were crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, quoting uh, Psalm 125, 126, there was this prophecy being fulfilled. As Jesus neared the city of Jerusalem, there was an emotion that came out of him that did not seem to match the moment. Luke chapter 19, verse 41 says this. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. This was supposed to be a happy day. This was a great day. The people were crying out to the Savior. They were welcoming him. Why was Jesus crying? Here's why. It's because he knew that these people were broken. He knew that they were going to reject the very thing that they needed to bring them salvation, which was himself. And he knew that there was going to be an awful consequence for rejecting him. Look in verse 44. Jesus is weeping because he says that he can see and he knows that because of their rejection of him as Messiah, that they would suffer. And here's what I know about every person in this room and every person in this world. Anyone who says, I don't want that simple love of God given in Jesus Christ to to be what I stake my hopes on. I want something sophisticated. I want something that makes me look good, something that makes me feel good, something that has a little bit of religion, but not too much. I I want what I want. There's no salvation in that. There's only suffering. We need to acknowledge that this moralistic therapeutic deism is destroying lives, families, nations. What is needed is the love of God. What is the love of God? How has God loved us that that it would matter and that it would make a difference? Let me show you three things in our text today. The first one is this. Jesus came to love us by ruling us. How has God loved us? How has God offered to to, to save us? By ruling us. And, And the way he rules is amazing. You think about how he came in. Here he is, the son of God. He's coming having lived a holy life. He's going to die on the cross to pay for our sin. And then on the third day, he's going to be erased in power. And then he is going to ascend on high and send the Spirit of God. And with him are the hopes of all the world. With him is everything necessary for there to be healing. And this power comes 
in great humility. He comes on a donkey's colt. How uncool is that? You ever wonder why the Romans didn't get upset about this? They didn't blink an eye at it. What they could not understand and what many don't understand today is that Jesus came in a way that we could understand him and perceive him in simplicity. And if we do receive this love, really receive it, we're never the same again. See, to to experience the love of Jesus is to experience a life change where we come under the leadership and the rulership of God. Today, when Ian Benningfield was baptized, I asked him, who saved him? He said, Jesus. And I said, who is it you are going to obey the remainder of your life? And he said, Jesus. Some of you have made that same confession. Are you living it? Or have you fallen into that place where you've drank that poison of moralistic therapeutic deism where you have made your life about you looking good, feeling good, and having just enough of religion that it doesn't really require much of you. See, if you're a disciple of Jesus and you've really experienced the love of Jesus, you're, gonna, you're going to live under the rulership of Jesus and you're going to obey him. Look what Jesus said. If, you, if I love you and you love me, then there's going to be a change in your life. What does that change look like? Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Are you? It's one thing to say, oh, I'm a Christian. And mean it sociologically. It's another thing to say, I am a disciple of Jesus. I am a Christian that loves Jesus and is going to obey Jesus no matter what. You've heard me use this equation before. I like to say it because it's easy to remember and it's true. If you know Jesus, you love Jesus. And if you love Jesus, you obey Jesus. If you don't obey Jesus, it's because you don't love Jesus. And if you don't love Jesus, it's because you really don't know Jesus. Because to know him is to be in awe of him. And this Jesus has come with this eternal power to save in such a kind and compassionate and, and humble way. But there are many who say, that's not cool enough for me. That's not enough for me. And and what do we do? We push over the gift of God with the Father in it. And we say, I don't want that. And you need to understand there's consequences to that decision. It will lead to suffering, not only in this life, but in the life to come. You've got to understand that that Jesus is one day going to come. He's going to come in power. He's going to come in a way that, that even the Romans would be uh, 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 amazed with. <laughs> the reason why the Romans didn't step in when Jesus came into town that way is because they thought it was a joke. The Romans were extremely paranoid. If they thought there was a threat, they crucified it. Why didn't they grab him then? Here's why. Because when the Romans when they would bring their conquering hero to town, when they would start waving and heralding a hero, he was on a war horse. And he had a a whole guard of soldiers. And there were those that they had captured. And there was power on display. Jesus coming in with a bunch of palm branches on a colt. 
They thought that was a joke. What they could not see was that this was the love of God that had come to save the world. Do you see that? If you can, you have hope. If you cannot, you need to understand you will see Jesus coming again. And the next time he comes, it will be on a war horse. Revelation 19 describes it. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, who were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury, the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written on it, King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus Christ has come to rule us with love and compassion and kindness. And if we will not submit to his rule, he will come again. And he will restore all things. You are either with him or you're against him. And those who choose to receive his love, they will love him and they will obey him. The love of God, it has been given. He's came to love us by ruling us and also by rescuing us. Many do not understand this. You know, the thing I love about the Gospel of John, next time you read the Gospel of John, look for the honesty of John. I just love him. He admits that Peter outran him and beat him to the the empty tomb that day. I think that's hilarious. He was very honest. He also constantly points out to the fact that he and the other disciples did not understand what Jesus was talking about. So you look in verse 16, Jesus has repeated over and over, I am going to go to Jerusalem. The, the, the leaders will put me to death, and on the third day I will rise. They still didn't get it. He says so right here in verse 16. The disciples did not understand these things at first. It wasn't until after the ascension and the coming of the Holy Spirit that they finally understood the love of God, that what Christ had come to do was to rescue. The world is broken, my friends. The world is broken, and there is no human instrument that can heal us. All the king's horses and all the king's men cannot give what we need in order to be able to pursue and recover God's design to produce that harmony. There's only one one way that we can pursue and recover God's design, and that's through the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, the the sin, because of the fall, there is brokenness. We fell off the wall, and now we're broken. And there's so much pain. And there's so much fear. And there's so much hate. And although it's not sophisticated and it's not very cool, the only power that will heal is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. Christ has come to rule us and to rescue us. And he does that by raising us. Write it down and understand. Jesus came to love us by raising us. And and again, verses 17 through 19, more truth as to why the people were out there that day. Again, John, so honest. He's like, these guys didn't really understand what was going on. We didn't understand what was going on. He basically says... 
there was a celebrity coming, this one Jesus that they'd heard about at a spectacle, Lazarus. In other words, it was a carnival. So they had the, the celebrity that everybody was talking about in the freak show, Lazarus, who supposedly had died and been, had been raised, and they all wanted to come, and they wanted to see it. And in the midst of it, they were sort of hoping, hey, man, wouldn't it be great if this is the one who could, who could like, get the right kind of government order in place so that we can be in power again, so we can be in control again, and, and so that we can, we can have what it is that's going to make us feel good and look good and have just enough religion that we can use it to get whatever we want. So, moralistic therapeutic deism is not new. It's the same poison that the devil has been giving to the children of God for millennia. Jesus has come. And, and what he can do what no law can do. What he can do is what none of us can do for ourselves. What he can do is, is, is unbelievably powerful. It's what he did for Lazarus. He can take what is dead and bring it to life. Some of you sit here today you think your marriage is over. God can bring it to life. Some of you sit here today and you feel completely defeated in your sin. Our God's not dead. The victory is in Him. His life and His love can give you new life, can raise you up and set you free. You say, how? It's not hard. It's not hard at all. And the fact of the matter, it's so easy that some of you are going to reject it based on the fact that it's actually this easy. How do we how do we get this love? Jesus' love, understand, comes to those who, first of all, admit they need it. You actually have to humble yourself. See, here's what's happening in every little brain in this room right now. And those who are hearing my voice later online. We've all got a plan, don't we? We've all got an idea of what we think we really need. And can I just lovingly tell you this? And by the way, this is for free. You don't have a clue. And I don't have a clue. But Jesus knows. And what Jesus can do you and I cannot do. I don't know how he does it. I genuinely don't. All I know is that there was a time when I was dead and now I'm alive. I love they're going to Costa Rica. I remember Pastor Jorge came here years ago. And, uh, and I don't know why he baptized, but he was baptizing that Sunday. I can't remember what the situation was years ago. And uh, the way he baptizes is this. He takes a person... And I can't remember what he says right before, but then he looks at him and he says, you're dead. And he takes him under the water, which is kind of scary. And then he brings him out of the water. He goes, now you're alive. How does that work? I don't know. Here's what I know. God became flesh. He died for sin. He conquered death on the third day. He is risen. He is the risen Christ. And He calls us to complete allegiance to Him because we know we need Him. Admit you need Him. 
acknowledge that God has it. He has what you need. What do you need? Love. It's simple. It's not sophisticated. Powerful. It's all you need. So what do I do with this reality? Accept it by faith. You say, well, what will happen to me? I don't know. I'll tell you what happened to me. Peace. Joy. Hope. Life. Confidence. Strength. I have found God's blessings far greater than anything I could have ever hoped or imagined. And I haven't even seen heaven yet. What about you? So you got to make a choice. You've got to choose, are you going to acknowledge the, the, the leadership of Jesus? Are you going to be his disciple? Or are you going to be a person who says, I just want enough of a religion that it makes me feel good so that I can do good, so everyone can think I'm good, so that I feel good, so that I can point to a, a little bit of feel-good religion, so that I can do a little good. And feel, are you going to live in that cycle of lies? It's poison. What's real is the love of Jesus Christ. There is a supernatural power in it if you'll humble yourself and receive it. Let's stand together. Father, the complexities of this world are well beyond my capacity to understand, much less remedy. There are hearts in here that are hurting from decisions that have been made that go beyond my ability to discern. But Lord, you know our pain. You know our fears. You know our apathy. You, you know how hard it is for us to believe and how hard it is for us to trust and obey. And, and, and truthfully, we can't do it unless you enable us. Lord, I've been praying all morning that you would give us eyes that can see and ears that can hear. Would you do that right now? And would you lead us to repent, that is, turn away from trusting in the things the things we can do and the things of this world, and instead say with great confidence and humility, Jesus Christ is my hope. He is my Lord. Lord, I know that there are some today who've never said that and done that, and I pray that they will do what I did, which is come and get on their knees and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. I trust you. Take my life. It's yours. I love you. I will obey you. God, I pray for some today who are hurting. You're allowing it. Not because you're mean, but because you want to call each of us to a place where we are trusting and obeying you in love. And Lord, many of us know of pain that exists in our families and our friendships certainly in our world where there is so much suffering. God, hear the prayers of those who would come today and humbly ask you to transform by the power of the gospel lives, families, cities, and our culture. We need you, Lord. You're our hope. Come and pray as we sing.